We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, how you doing? It's IB Nation Sports Talk. We're up and running. We're a little bit behind today. We usually start as close to on time as we can. It's uh, Sean Styers, Jesse Styers in the Salmon Polo, it looks like, today. How are you doing? Oh, I'm not too bad. Just a uh, <laughs> busy week of work. Yeah, it's one of those. It's one of those. Thanks for jumping on here. We, uh, we had planned on starting with the guest and one of the rare times, you know, unless it's Tom Noy, most of our guests are like, oh, I've got stuff going on. So can I record the interview? And we're like, yeah, sure. You know, whatever, whatever works for you. So RJ Abatia out there in Los Angeles, he uh, told me, yeah, you know, I can do the show live six o'clock, whatever. So of course I get a text right as I'm logging in, I'm, I'm running a little bit behind. I, I, I'm hoping that it's just LA traffic and, and he'll be on here hopefully within a few minutes. So Jesse jumped in. He was originally going to just, you know, kind of jump on after RJ came on and do a little rapid fire today. But uh, yeah, Anthony says, Jesse is focusing intently on something. <laughs> he's, he's getting his last second show prep in. I guess they're emails, emails, getting the emails in, you know, Brian and I did, uh, I did my dabble into the recruiting slash commitment game yesterday with the commitment of Logan Thomas, the defensive end, Brian and I uh, had the show on that last night and Logan Thomas, the defensive end from Katy, Texas committed Long, tall, explosive defensive end. Going to be, a, am sure, a really good viper for Notre Dame when he gets here. But he said that one of the things that he was going to do right away was get on the recruiting trail himself and uh, and try to make the commitment or uh, try to try to make the pitch to Justin Scott and um, not only Logan Thomas but C.J. Carr and Cam Williams out there making the pitches to uh to justin scott did you see that on twitter today i did um i saw the screenshots and i think it's cool when uh guys are actively uh recruiting other players because to me that shows that they are definitely all in on notre dame right like not only are you committed but you're trying to help by get other people to commit 
Absolutely. And I mean, this is a big one. Justin Scott, he's the one that everyone's talking about right now and that everyone wants. And it's it's pretty cool. Like we've seen this in the past where current like Steve Angeli was a big recruiter a couple of years ago during his commitment, trying to get guys to, you know, like making making the pitch to them, getting them in here to Notre Dame. This is this is just a huge one. Like when you look at where things have gone for Notre Dame the last couple of cycles, just missing out on some of the big fish like Keon Keeley, who ended up going to Alabama, and of course Peyton Bowen in the last recruiting cycle, who ended up, you know, he was going to go to Notre Dame, then he was going to go, he committed to Oregon, then he broke the commitment and ended up at Oklahoma instead. But, you know, Notre Dame just missed out on those big fish. So I'll be curious to see just how far this goes with um you know some of these current commits going out there and and making the pitch to Justin Scott because this is this is the kind of big fish that they need to be able to reel in and and uh, you know it's a long way away right now signing day is is what 7 months away a little bit more than 7 months away i guess at this point you know the early signing period anyway but it's a guy they need to get and and I'll be really curious to see if, you know, not just what the Notre Dame coaching staff is doing, but if if guys like C.J. Carr, who right now is the biggest fish that they've got in the 24 cycle, you know, of him and some of these other guys can can go sort of be the closer, I guess. Yeah, just looking at Justin Scott's kind of profile, I mean, he's the third best defensive lineman in the country, number one recruit out of Illinois, and spans between 10 to 20 kind of overall national recruits. So definitely a big name. A lot of people have it predicting between Notre Dame and Miami right now, but the right. five overall are Georgia, Miami, Michigan, Ohio State, um, and Notre Dame. Yep. Michigan's making that push to get in there as well with Mike Elson, of course, being up there, the former Notre Dame defensive line coach now up there in Ann Arbor. Well, I see RJ Abatia is in the waiting room. So Jesse, I will, uh, I'll put you on hold. I'm going to bring RJ in and then I'll talk to you. RJ, you know, when RJ and I get going, sometimes it can go for a while. So you might have to monitor and, uh, you know, see just exactly when you've got to check back in a little bit later. Okay. I will be here. All right. Sounds good. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Jesse jumping out and our old friend, RJ Abadia from, uscfootball.com check it in right now how are you rj i'm doing great i was pleasantly surprised to see twice the styers uh, <laughs> that's right more bang for my buck is that's right great. you know i said before I've, you know i had to manufacture my own co-host you know so <laughs> took a little bit in the incubator but one of the one of the co-hosts of the show but um glad to have you you know it's uh crazy times going out there with uh with USC and and of course we're going to talk some USC football but I wanted to start with what's going on with the athletic director situation I yeah. saw today that they just named an interim I guess is it Mike Bond Mike Bone how do you pronounce his last name Mike Bone is what we've been going with <laughs> sounds good it's like no reason it's one to change those... it at this point yeah that's right that's exactly right. So I, I guess what's the latest with, with what's going on with that right now? 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply following kind of a very familiar pattern with the way stories happen nowadays. I think, you know, the resignation, which if I'm not mistaken, was last Friday. Yeah, that sounds right. Classic, classic Friday news dump by USC. Um, I think it took everyone shock, surprise. It, It seemed even that it even it seemed that USC was a little surprised that things had happened and the manner in which they had happened. Um, but once you get Pat initial story, you know, you know, there's more, and, you know, I was talking, I was on Sirius. Um, I was on Pac-12 radio a few days ago and they asked me, you know, did I think we had heard all of it? And I said, of course not. You know, I had no, at that time, it's not like I had any insider knowledge about, what may or may not have happened at Cincinnati. Right. But I think, you know, now we know now when something like this happens and it's a new story of this nature, the likelihood of all of it coming out in one shot is extremely low. So I guess to tie it up, the point I was trying to make is just that USC is in kind of an interesting position because they are in a real-time search for an athletic department, an athletic director, and they need to have one. Like this is the, with what everything that's going on in in college sports and at USC in particular, they need one. But at the same time, there is a fallout. There is some kind of blowback and consequence to what is appearing with every passing day and week and every article that comes out to have been a very very misguided hire. Yeah, exactly. And I guess it's going to be interesting to see exactly where that situation goes, because this obviously, you know, there's there's a track record now at USC with, you know, I've been here at, at Notre Dame covering Notre Dame for 20 plus years. And in that time, there have been two athletic directors and it's been a bit, of, you know, a pretty smooth 
transition. USC has had four in that time, and they've had to move on one to the other just because there's always been some kind of, I don't know if controversy might be too strong, but at least some kind of issue with each of them. Right. I mean, look, I I have only, I'm certainly aware of that 20-year history. I've only been on the beat for a few years, but I think the safest thing to say is that the vast majority of those transitions were not intentional planned and not right. part of any design. So whatever you want to say about the regime of Mike Garrett, about Pat Hayden, about, you know, Lynn Swan, and now about Mike Bone, this wasn't part of a plan on USC's part. And I think one of, one of the interesting takeaways and one of the things that I've started to get a sense of that is happening at, a, at the university level and at the leadership level is I think they are enduring some growing pains with regards to kind of a culture shift and a philosophical shift. Um, I don't think there's any question that football remains a massive priority at USC as it well, does at Notre Dame. And it is a massive yeah. part of the institution's identity. But I also think that, you know, the Mike Bone situation, if there's, if there's anything concrete we can say as we wait for more information to really get out about what happened, I think one thing we can say is that, you know, that, the mindset of a lot of fans at a lot of schools and a lot of schools, to be honest with you, is if you got the football coaching hire right and things are right with the football program, you're pretty good as the athletic director. Yeah. <laughs> everything else, everything else is just the cherry on the Sunday. It's exactly right. <laughs> I think, yeah. I, I think that's not a crazy statement to say about a lot, no, of, a lot of people. All. Right. Yeah. What we are seeing now is that is not the case at USC anymore. And it doesn't mean that football is being deprioritized. It just means that there are, there are third rail offenses and there are things that you just don't get swept under the rug. And by the way, nor should they be swept under the rug. But I think we're seeing now a, a USC kind of in this philosophical kind of existential I don't want to say crisis, but they're in a transition period where it's like, what are we as a university? What is acceptable here? I mean, keep in mind, I mean, you referenced the last 20 years of just athletic department turmoil, but the school has had issues, huge issues, right. lawsuits about issues very much in line with what we're hearing with Mike Bone, at least in terms of the, the mistreatment of women, the sexual harassment right. types of stuff, right? So this is all just kind of coming to a head for the school. And I think they're trying to wade their way through what's right and what's wrong. And I think at the end of the day, right now, they've, they've kind of, they've kind of resoundingly decided that it's not enough for success to be happening on the field and in the courts and all that stuff, that there is a way you have to run things now and the way you should be running things now. And if you run afoul of that stuff, it's not going to be business as usual. Yeah. Let's talk some football. It's more fun to talk about football than ADs Please, and, and stuff like that. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, so just like Marcus Freeman, of course, here at Notre Dame, it was Lincoln Riley's second spring out there at USC. Yeah. So I'm curious, was there a noticeable difference from spring one to spring two for what you guys were able to see of, of Lincoln Riley and the Trojans? I think there's a comfort level. 
I think there was a sense that, and, and Lincoln Riley kind of said this multiple times over the course of the spring, there's just a sense of the leap off point, kind of the understanding. And, and, and the most pointed thing I think he said was just kind of the understanding on the part of the players about the level of play and the level of effort and the level of intensity was more understood the spring there was a lot less having to say you know we have to do it at this level there was a lot more okay we know this is the level that it has to be done and so that's kind of a natural i think evolution especially when you when you succeed you know you kind of you've gotten the player's attention they understand what will fly um so i think they had that advantage this spring i also think I think they're just more comfortable being at USC, understanding how USC works, understanding the logistics of everything and making that work. So from a staff side, I think there was another level of comfort. And, you know, it's it's important because this year's team is going to still be, to a large extent, one of those one-year cycle teams. You know, we, I think we probably, we probably, I'm sure, cause I always talk about it, but we talked about it probably <laughs> the last time we discussed it, but you know, when Lincoln Riley showed up, change was desperately needed. Sure. He changed a lot. And he said all along, look, this isn't what I want it to be every off season. He wants to get to kind of that classic model where your program is comprised of guys who have been in your program for one, two, three, four years. And that's who you see on the field guys that you recruited as high schoolers, the traditional model. Well, I think they've taken steps towards more of that and, and, and building a roster that will eventually become that, but they're not there yet. And you saw that with all the portal activity and, and not just portal activity, but there are starters we can kind of point to right now. Um, that they have brought in. So I I think they've moved towards more of a long lasting traditional approach, but this is still kind of the second year of this team will exist within the span of this calendar year. And then next year, it's going to be a much different group. It's not this thing where we kind of know who's going to be here for their second, third, fourth, and fifth years with the portal because you don't know who's leaving and you don't know who's coming. So, you know, I I think there was more comfort with that reality. I think everyone just kind of knows more about how it works. So I think there were steps, I think there were steps taken and I think you could kind of see it not so much on the field. um, But I think just the sense you got from the players and the coaches that things are a little more accelerated compared to where they were a year ago at this time. I would imagine. And, you know, and just kind of what you're saying with the portal, there were at least 11 incoming portal guys, if I read, you know, if the number that I, the, the last number that I saw anywhere, it was right around 11, but they lost a few as well. So what you're saying is you don't expect there to be this kind of year to year turnover going forward. Maybe it decreases a little bit every year. You know, there's always, I think everyone's always going to have some, you know, some portal yeah. activity, but you, you, you don't expect it to be in the kind of volume that it's been these first couple of years for him. Well, I think that's the plan. I think the safest thing to say is that Lincoln Riley doesn't expect that. Now the reality may play out differently. You just don't know how this is all going to work. The the interesting thing is, you know, in the case of starting with, I would say you look at Caleb Williams and uh, um, Mario Williams, a wide receiver who came from Oklahoma 
right after their freshman year mm -hmm. and then you look at a player like bear alexander the defensive lineman from georgia who they brought in and is kind of the, the crown jewel of the transfer portal class it's one of these weird things where we're living in this space now where you almost would rather take the silver in a high school recruitment because in the case of all three of those players that won the recruitment lost them after one year yeah and the school that gains them has them for a minimum of two. That's true. When, when it's just this weird thing, right? You're you're never trying to not win, but the the bottom line is that it's better for USC. Obviously, things change because of the coaching change, but it was better for USC that Caleb Williams went to Oklahoma out of high school, right? Right. Whereas when he was committing said, hey, USC, would you love to sign Caleb Williams? Of course, they're all going to say yes. Why wouldn't we, right? But it's better for them because now he's here and they knew they had him for two years. Same with Mario Williams and same with Bear Alexander, who's transferring in right now as a freshman. It's not just that they've got this super talented young player, but unlike his freshman year, they know they've got him for two years. So you're going to get a weird sense of kind of pseudo continuity Mm -hmm. Just because of that, right? Every time you bring in a young a guy in that category, right? A one-year departure, you know you've got him for two. If he's really good, you probably don't expect anyone was ever going to have him for a fourth year. So you're kind of getting the best two years of it. So it's a weird, it's weird. I mean, you know, the, the, it's all up in the air right now. I think it's such a Wild West mentality at this exactly. point of what works, what doesn't. But in a weird way... They found a different path towards roster continuity and stability through the portal. Um, but not everybody's in that category. You know, Mason Cobb is a linebacker from Oklahoma State that they brought in. And, I mean, he showed up talking about improving his NFL draft stock. I mean, if he could sign up for the draft now, today, for next year's draft, he'd have done it. I mean, it's very clear. He's a one-year player. He's going to be here for one year. The same goes for, you know, a couple of the other guys. So, it's not like across the board they found that, but that's kind of the sweet spot is if you can get a talented guy, um, Anthony Lucas, defensive lineman from um, Texas A&M, exact same category, five-star guy. USC did, uh, USC was in the mix for him at one point, quote unquote, lost the recruitment. But now they've got him for his second and third year of college football. Yeah. I think there's, there's weird paths, kind of happy accidents. Um, but yeah, to go back to the question that you asked, you know, a few days ago, um, <laughs> I think Lincoln Riley would rather have a far more conventional roster turnover situation. I just don't know that in this world and at this moment in the history of, in, in the game, I don't know how feasible it is. It's tough to break out of those one-year cycles once you start with it. Yeah. One of the guys they lost, Cortland Ford from the offensive line, one of their, one of their tackles is offensive line is that the biggest offensive question that they really have to address heading into the you know into the summer workouts and toward training camp in the fall you know i think because of the veterans that they brought in and because we saw how well they integrated newcomers last year um i think there's a lot more faith that that group is going to be fine both in terms of the starters and, and the depth that they're able to come up with. Interestingly, I think, you know, still the strongest 
position group on the offensive side of the ball talent wise would have to be the wide receiver room. If you just talk about the amount of really good guys still in that room. Um, But that said, I think the most uncertainty has to do with who's stepping up, who are really going to be the guys who are going to be the go-to guys who are going to be the guys that Caleb Williams goes to when the chips are really down. Right. And I don't think that's been established at all. I don't think USC knows right now who that is. And I think that's one of the bigger things to get resolved in fall camp is just the, the true packing order. You know, they're not a lot of wrong choices. There's not a lot of bad options at this point, but as opposed to, you know, last season where Caleb Williams obviously loved throwing to Jordan Addison. Mm-hmm. He loved throwing to Mario Williams who came with him from Oklahoma. Those two guys did have some separation and then guys kind of stepped up over the course of the year, guys like Brendan Rice, who's back. Um, But I think the most uncertainty on the offensive side of the ball, probably the pecking order at wide receiver. I think they feel pretty good about where things are um, on the offensive line at this point. Really? Okay. Other side of the ball, you mentioned the linebackers and and that was a, a big concern, at least going into the spring. They do have some transfers and that's, it just, you know, how things, piece together when you've got as many transfers I, I you know I guess you find out as you go along but they were 112th in points allowed they were 117th in yards rushing yards per attempt last year you talked about bringing in Bear Alexander for the defensive line do you expect him to have major impact I, you know I assume he kind of has to have some major impact for that all to come together this year yeah I mean you if you're looking up the statistical profile for USC's defense last year, it's very hard to find a ranking that doesn't have three digits in it. Um, That's just the reality. And I think the expectation is it's kind of a, it's kind of a shotgun approach in a certain way in the sense that, yeah, I mean, the expectations are very high for Bear Alexander. I think the expectations are high for Anthony Lucas. Um, Anthony Lucas was a five-star. I mean, he was a top, in his class um they brought in keon bars from uh, arizona kind of a starter level interior defensive lineman i don't think they totally know the real stars are going to be but i think what they're confident in at least or at least cautiously optimistic is that the sum total of all these guys is going to move the needle i mean in a very cynical way there's kind of only one place for the needle to go at this point with how much they struggled <laughs> last year but I think that what they're looking at is saying to themselves, look, if you look at points per drive, we had the best offense in the country last year. Defensively, like I said, deep triple digits. It might, I think points per drive a lot. It might be 122. I've looked it up so many times, but yet I still, it's just a staggering number. The point is, I think if you're a C, what you're saying, okay, what we're cooking with a lot better this year than we did last year, especially at linebacker, especially when you talk about the depth that we don't even know who our starters are, but any combination of these guys has to be better than last year. And if you look at a team that was so good on offense and so bad on defense and went 11 and three, you're saying to yourself, we don't have to become Georgia to get to the college football playoff or to win the pac 12. If they, if they graduate to mediocrity, it's going to be a really hard team to beat, you know? So I think that's kind of 
you know, they want to be good. They want to be great on both sides of the ball. But realistically, I think you're saying to yourself, okay, guys, it can't be this bad. If we move the needle at all way, it's going to be really, really difficult to beat us. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, and one thing, you know, you've got, you've obviously, you've got a Heisman winning quarterback like yeah. Caleb Williams. You're coming off a New Year's Six Bowl. The, being in the playoff is kind of what everyone's talking about with USC, it seems like right now. Now, they didn't have to play Oregon and Washington last year, Correct. only Utah. But obviously, they played Utah twice because of the Pac-12 championship game. They're going to play all three of them this year. And the last mm-hmm. five games of their schedule go Utah, Cal, then Washington, at Oregon, and then UCLA, which was also a really good running team, as you well know, last year. So it, it seems like that kind of ups the ante for them this year, doesn't it? Well, and I think you could, if you just, you know... I appreciate the humility, but if you just stretch it back one week, it's Notre Dame. Notre Dame, right before they play Utah. That's true too. I was thinking more like you, conference race and stuff like that. But yeah, right. I mean that's I mean, absolutely I mean, right. Bigger picture, but, yeah. But the conference race, their biggest conference game is coming right after a road game against Notre Dame. That's a factor. That's true. That's a factor in the conference race, right? And and honestly, if you look last year, you know, they had a really emotional and physically draining win over UCLA. And a lot of us expected that to catch up with them in the Notre Dame game the following week. It didn't happen. They actually played what I would argue was easily their best, most complete game of the year. They looked really good and played a really strong game. Seemed like I'm here. Six, yeah, right. But six <laughs> days later, Vegas against a tough Utah team, and the check came due. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know the the sequencing of this stuff really does matter. As as you're saying, like if you look at the first half of the schedule ahead of the Notre Dame game, those are games that are either projected blowouts or they might be competitive, but there's no chance USC is not going to be favored in those games. Starting with the Notre Dame game, there are hurdles, and they're coming in a row, in a row, in a row, because USC, take this however you want, but in its final year of the Pac-12, uh, they will play nine straight games. Their bye week, their first bye week, I think is September 16th, because they're playing a week zero game. And then their next bye week isn't until Thanksgiving weekend. So they're playing nine games in a row. They're playing all those games consecutively. So I think the path is certainly tougher this year than it was last year, if we're talking about the schedule. And as you said, Oregon, Washington, and that, that's at Oregon, right? You know, so you've got all those schools coming at you in a row. Um, it's, it's a challenge. It, the stakes are, like, if USC gets to the playoff or wins the Pac-12 championship this season, they will have done so through a much more, a much tougher schedule than they had last year. Yeah, and it is the last year 
in the Pac-12, and it's been not quite a year since we talked after that. I mean, we talked during the season, obviously, as well, but we talked specifically yep. about, you know, the, the news USC and UCLA going to the Pac-10 last summer. So a, a year later, how are fans with that right now? Is is there a lot of anticipation? Like, where, where are they? You know, I think that last season left them so kind of caught up in the moment that I don't really get a sense. I think it's still in the minds of most fans, a distant hypothetical. It's not realistically distant. It's where we're going to be a year from now. But, you know, I think it's really been more all about this season. And, and when you're playing, you know, when you expect to be playing for a championship, it's not kind of this, there haven't been a lot of farewell tour vibes <laughs> I've gotten from the fan base, you know, and it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, if they were a lesser team with lower expectations, you start, then you start kind of thinking about that kind of stuff. But I think right now their, their thought is it's just all about this season and what can we do? And, and being honest, this season, even with the tougher schedule, shapes up as a far more conducive path to the college football playoff than whatever the 2024 looks like because now you're in the big 10 um and you're going to be dealing with that it's going to be harder i mean but you know even if you just limit it to logistics without even seeing what the schedule is right it's yeah. going to be harder you're talking about nine big 10 games i'm assuming i don't think anything officially has come out but i would be stunned if notre dame wasn't continuing to be part of that right so um now you're talking about 10 games plus their opening neutral field against lsu so the 2024 schedule wow is includes lsu notre dame and the big 10 schedule well i was going to say and i i would i would just have to wager even if you even if they don't get both Michigan and Ohio State, they've got to get one of them in year one. Right, I would think there's no way they're going to get away with not playing one of them from the Big in. Ten's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Big Ten's point of view, you're not bringing them in to play Rutgers. Right. <laughs> you want them on the field with Michigan and or Ohio State. Right. Right. That's kind of the the unspoken, and and we'll see how it all plays out. You know, it, it's been an interesting thing. As you know, obviously, you know, I have a Stanford background, and Stanford, Cal, UCLA, and USC were adamant when the Pac-12 went to a divisional format that regardless, they're playing each other every year. And the Pac-12 kind of acquiesced to that. One of the ways they kind of, schools pay for it is that because Notre Dame and Stanford for obvious reasons also said we're not giving up Notre Dame either um which is why Stanford and USC are always the first Pac-12 game every year and they always have right. to play a week earlier than everybody else does so my my point with that is simply just that the Big 10 is going to find a way to put USC in the best spotlight games as often as it can, as often as it can, as it should. And so um, back to your original question, I think that is just so far in the distance right now in the wake <laughs> of probably your best shot getting to a college football playoff in the here and now. Right. 
Well, uh, you know, and one of our listeners, Salty, was just asking about USC playing in in uh, November games in the upper Midwest, and there's all this stuff going on right now. Or, you know, I don't know if you've heard it out out there, but you know, there are these Big Ten teams grumbling about, oh, we didn't you know when we signed this NBC contract that we were going to have to play night games in November. Right. It's like this is a prime time contract. I don't know what they expected, and. You know, right. I can't imagine that Southern California teams are are all that excited about it. You know, the, the, well, the prospect I of mean, playing some of those night games here in the Midwest somewhere. If Burley State and rugged Michigan State are moving indoors. Exactly. <laughs> game in November, I, I think it's safe to say that there's nobody super excited out here about playing that type of game. What I will say is that I do expect there to be some type of balance in the sense of maybe, I mean, the temperature is the temperature. What do you, I mean, you can only do so much about that, but I think for every 9 a.m. game that USC gets saddled with, I think there's gonna be a corresponding 10 p.m. body clock game. Very true for a big 10 school to have to deal with when they come out to play USC. I don't think that, I think that conversation has been had. I think that discussion's already existing. I think that there's no way USC is signing up for, you know, six, 9 a.m. games or, you know, three road games in November without something that kind of balances that out and mitigates it. So, you know, it, it'll be what it'll be, but I, I think, you know, Again, as I said, a lot of domes. That's right. I mean, domes in the footprint is all I'll say. And we'll a lot listen. of domes, and I mean, you've got two LA teams, so like yeah. you know, they they can't get all the you know they can't get all the, the the night games you know in Los Angeles, but at the same time, everyone out here, I would imagine, just like Notre Dame, that you know those Thanksgiving weekends are going to be lining up to have those opportunities to play some yeah, night games right. I mean, in that's- LA. That's the other part of it too, right? Is that you're suddenly saying to yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, yeah, we want we want the best competitive advantage, but you're really giving us a choice between Los Angeles in November and uh, West Lafayette. Yeah. I mean I, I don't even think that's a choice in West Lafayette. Like just do what Notre Dame did. I mean, if you get a Pac twelve game in Las Vegas every November, you know, play play an off off campus game, a neutral site game like that. Why not? Sign up for that. That's right. I mean, everyone from, you know, whether it's Iowa or Wisconsin, where, you know, they, they'd make that trek to Las Vegas in November, I'm sure. Hey, Jesse, before uh, we cut you loose here in a minute, RJ, Jesse was jumping back in and he said that he's got a question for you. So uh, a bonus oh, Styers getting, question. Getting, what do you got? Yeah, what do you I'm got, getting Jesse? double. I'm Spit getting, it out there. I'm getting it's, it's, it's a three-way, it's a three-way match here. <laughs> hell, hell in a cell right now. All right. Spire squared. What do, you, what do you got for me? Yeah, I'm just curious, <laughs> you know, your overall thoughts for Caleb Williams next year. Do you think that we saw the peak? Do you think that there might be any sort of regression? And it might not even be his play, but you got to look at what's around him from last season to this season. Do you see his game going to a next level next season? When you look statistically, I'm not sure how much of a next level there is. That's what I mean. So, at, like, at this it's, point. it's like, hard I, to live I, up I, and yeah, go beyond I mean, what you did last year. I mean, look, he he was not a flawless player. 
he is uh, the the my take on Caleb Williams is that number one, he is a player with a level of athleticism that I'm not even sure anyone outside of Lamar Jackson can match at the quarterback position. I can't tell you how many times I would watch a pocket collapse and in my mind just mentally move on to the sack that was coming in the next play. And then suddenly he's not. That was sacked. every Notre Dame play. I was going to say Notre Dame yeah, wishes sure. that happened. Notre Dame wishes that happened I'm, once. <laughs> I'm sure that feels familiar. Right. And it wasn't an experience that was distinct to Notre Dame. So he, he has a level of athleticism and escapability and arm talent that college football, especially playing in a Lincoln Riley offense, he threw to a lot of wide open guys last year. College football is just never going to look hard for him. It's just right. not. Now, when you talk about crossing the T's, dotting the I's, can he get better? Can his decision making get better? You know, I think there is still room for improvement there. I think there is room for accuracy improvement. It's not like he was categorically inaccurate, but I think I think he thinks he can get better. I think there's more on the table for him. I think Lincoln Riley thinks it is. I don't know if it's going to be significantly different. And the other thing is, you know, like we were talking with Sean about the schedule, is that he may be really good in different ways that don't translate to amazing stats. You know, if he's got to dig out a game at Oregon, maybe the stats aren't great, but he leads them to kind of a rousing comeback win or something like that. Was he better that year than he wasn't, even if he didn't have great numbers? So it's going to be tough for the numbers to get better, but I do think he can get better in terms of his NFL draft profile, which is, again, yeah. kind of a ridiculous thing to say because he is the number one draft pick. I want to ask you real quick, the Bronny James commitment to USC. You know, obviously it's basketball, but I'm curious how that moves the needle in that market, obviously with his dad playing there. I'm curious too, because to be quite honest with you, it, it's kind of reached a point where you, you wonder if anything can move the needle for USC men's basketball. I mean, they've been, they've strung <laughs> the together. Mobley brothers. That, that was like the highlight for a while, right? <laughs> it was, but you didn't get the sense. Like there were a couple games, you know, a couple big games that they would sell out, but you just didn't get the sense that, they had taken over for their stretch of the calendar. You know, you didn't get the sense that at any given moment, if there was USC football content or news to break, that everyone wasn't going to just leave the arena and go deal with that first, you know? <laughs> so I'm curious, I'm curious to see how that plays out. I mean, they also, it's not just Barney James, you know, they also signed the number one recruit right. in the class, you know, right. they got Isaiah Collier as well. So like, I, if this doesn't move the needle, I'm not sure what will. <laughs> But I don't think you can just say as a foregone conclusion, it's going to make things different. I think there'll be a curiosity factor at, at first, but they should be a really good team. But they've been a really good team. As Jesse said, I mean, they had the Mobley brothers. They had two NBA guys in mm -hmm. their front court. And that was a good, they were good. They did well, but it didn't really galvanize the fan base necessarily. So it, it remains to be seen just how much of a footprint they can move, they can, they can establish there. RJ. I appreciate it as always. Thanks for your patience. We both, you know, we had, it's technology is always fun to deal with, but uh, <laughs> glad we could do it. A lot of great information as always. No, I I love it. Twice the styres. I got two for one. So this is, this is a winning, That's this right. is a winning effort for me. I'm very winning happy, happy to do it. All right. RJ Abadia, you can read his stuff at USC football. 
Facebook.com. I'm sure we'll uh, check in here in a few months, come October, when we're uh, when we're counting down to the days when USC is coming in here to Notre Dame. All right, take care, RJ. Thanks a lot.